0: It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers
1: that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying differently. Hey everyone, it's your host, Edward Ford, and welcome to the Growth of podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency, Advanced B2B. Advanced B2B helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing so if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing then check out advancedb2b.com for more info now joining us today on the show is wes bush principal at product led institute and today we're talking about how to turn your product into a growth engine now wes knows a thing or two about product led growth because he wrote the book on it literally Wes is the best-selling author of Product-Led Growth, How to Build a Product That Sells Itself, and is also founder of Product-Led Summit, creator of the Product-Led Certificate, and the Product-Led Community. So Wes lives and breathes all things product-led in the world of SaaS. And in this episode, Wes shares his expertise with us as we cover how to align perceived value and experienced value, an in-depth walkthrough of his bowling alley framework for better onboarding, the components of a product-led marketing strategy, why product-led growth is a team sport, and some examples of great product-led growth in SaaS. So there's all this and more on episode 55 of the Growth Hub podcast with Wes Bush, Principal at Product-Led Institute. Welcome to another episode of the growth of podcast. And it's my pleasure to welcome Wes Bush to the show, who is principal at product led Institute. So Wes, thank you so much for joining us today here on the growth of podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Yeah, same. We have been discussing this for some time now, so great. We could catch up and dig into this. And today we're talking about product led growth, of course. And how to turn your product into a growth engine. So I think to kick things off, let's start off with what actually is product-led growth?
0: Yeah, I mean, product-led growth right now is like a big trend where a lot of people are just like, oh, it's this completely new thing. But I'd actually argue it's been around in so many different industries for so long. It's just coming to the software space. So. If you want like a good definition, I would define product that grows as really using your product as the main vehicle to acquire, activate, and retain customers. But the thing I want you to think about as well is like, it's in so many other industries already. Like you want to buy cologne or perfume, like you're going to try that sample on, see if it smells good at the end of the day. If you go to Costco, you want to try a sample of a product to see if it's what you really want. If you want to buy a car, like you're going to test drive it. So this whole like concept of really try before you buy and having that free product experience to really understands if you want that product. It is pervasive in so many industries already. It's just coming to the SaaS space by storm
1: right now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think the best product-led <laughs> growth companies have got one thing in common for sure. And that is that the perceived value Equals the experienced value. So how can marketers ensure that these two things are in sync?
0: Yeah, so it's a really interesting thing where like the perceived value always kind of sum it up as like that's what we're promising people Experience value is what you actually have in the product experience what that feels like And so the best product led company is like what they're really doing great is They're oftentimes either meeting that's like experience value or they're over delivering on that end. And so the one thing that I love about the best product that companies and what they're doing well is it really comes down to time to value because the thing is you could have the best product in the world. Believe me, you could have the best one in your entire market, but if people can't actually experience the value of that very quickly, it doesn't matter because people, when they sign up for your products, you're going to have 40 to 60% of them just sign up and never come back. So that first experience and really getting someone to that point where they can experience that value is really a race. Like how can you deliver that incredible product experience and really help them get to that point where they say, I totally understand this value. I've experienced it. And at that point, the reason why it's kind of at the crux of building a successful product company is because once someone has experienced the core value of your product very quickly, that's when the, they fully understand that value proposition on their own terms. They didn't have to get told what it was by your sales rep. No, they experience it on their own. And that's so powerful because the majority of selling has already taken place. They understand your product. They understand how it helps people. They understand how valuable it is for them. And at that stage, that's really when they can consider, well, should I upgrade? Should Do I wanna continue experiencing this value? And so it's a really great relationship starter at the end of the day to have <laughs> that experience
1: value front-loaded. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a super important point. So time to value, as you said, which is how long it takes a new user to experience the value you promised. And you actually use something quite interesting. So something called the Bowling Alley Framework to help SaaS companies improve their onboarding and reduce that time to value uh, without spending a dime on marketing. So can you tell us more about this framework? Yeah. So the Bowling Alley Framework is really a way to look at approaching your
0: onboarding experience, because like I mentioned a little bit earlier, that first product experience is, is make or break. For the majority of people signing up for your product, you're going to lose that 40 60% of people in that first product experience. So when you think of even just bowling, to take it a step back here, the first time you're bowling, are you going to get a strike? the first time you roll that ball and try to knock down as many pins as you can if you're like most people you're most likely either going to get it into the gutter if you're like me or maybe you knock down a couple pins and so the the likelihood that you're going to the first time you play bowling roll it down and knock all those pins down it's so low and so when it comes to your product experience a lot of us are kind of naive in thinking that hey when someone first signs up for our product even if we don't guide them, they're going to be able to really strike out, experience the value of the product on their own. It's a huge ask. And what often ends up happening when people sign up for your product, if you don't do any form of guidance, they wander around. If it's complex too, they they really get lost and wind up in some of those features that maybe they've never seen before and are really complicated. And so the product experience is really at the end for them. It's essentially getting it into the gutter. They, they don't get the value of your product and they just leave that experience empty handed. And so the bowling alley framework, what it's really about is how do we manufacture strikes in our product so that whenever someone signs up, we can help them strike out. And so there's three components to the Bowling Alley framework that I love to go through. The first one is called the straight line onboarding experience. So like in bowling, you're often taught, okay, if you want to get that strike, roll the ball in that straight line in the middle. And when you do that, your odds of success at getting the majority of pins down skyrockets. So you're trying to do the same thing in your product, like map out what does that straight line onboarding experience look like from the very first touch point. Maybe it's an ad. Someone sees from your company to the point where they get into the product and they see first value. What are all those steps? I'm talking about every single step that you might think of under the sun. Maybe it's a form field. Maybe it's a click here, click there. Every single thing someone needs to do to see value. And then what you can really do from that point is try and understand, okay, what are those mission critical steps? Um, that we need to have. But one of the easiest ways to figure out what are those mission critical steps is to figure out which ones can we just simply eliminate without actually harming the user experience whatsoever. And oftentimes there's about like 20 to 30% of these steps companies can just immediately remove. And then there's also the tricky ones, which are, I call them the advanced steps, which is maybe it's something like a new feature that you want to show off to some people that sign up for your product. But maybe it's it's complex, and maybe it's not the right time for it to show them that. Maybe that's something you show for the second time user, or the third time they log into the product, or maybe when they check out that part of the product. It's all contextual, and so there's really those three things you're looking for. Like, what are those steps you can eliminate? What are those steps that are advanced that you could delay for that point, time being? And then the last part of you're left with those mission critical steps. And so when you have that like green light system of just the immediate steps that you really need to help that person see value it accelerates time to value significantly even if you just do those three things you find the steps you can eliminate delay the advanced ones and just have those mission critical steps i've done this with a bunch of companies and they usually see like a pretty big mrr boost by just applying that concept of the bulling eye framework but to really get the most value I want you to think about bumpers. So the Bowling Association actually had a really big issue with retention. They noticed that a lot of the people who were playing bowling were were the experts. And there was not a lot of new people getting into bowling. Because if you think about it, if a family goes to play bowling, that kid's first exposure to bowling is usually going to be I got destroyed by my parents. This wasn't that fun. I was always getting in the gutter. And so what they really tried to figure out is how could we lower the barrier to entry for this particular game? And so they invented bumpers so that even kids could really compete with their parents and have a blast at it. And so because it was much harder to get it into the gutter, um, it leveled the playing field. And so, in your products that's really what you want to do once you have that straight line onboarding experience you want to make sure you're actually guiding people through your product and so the first bumper i really cover is the product bumper which is maybe it's in a tooltip, maybe it's a guide that you're using through your product maybe it's a checklist like what are those specific things that you could do in your product experience to really map out and guide people through that straight line onboarding experience. Think of it as kind of like a, a Sherpa or a guide. If you're going up a mountain, like how are you actually being proactively helpful to get this person to the point where they totally understand the value of your product? And then the last piece is just the, the conversational bumper. So whenever people fall off that track or that straight line onboarding experience, um, what are you doing to actually help them? So if someone doesn't do a specific item like if you download or start using google analytics or you never upload the script to your website you're not going to get a whole lot of value out of that product so what are you doing to remind that person like hey you still have to do this maybe um, for this like email script or the the script for your website to your developer like here's an easy link to do that so you're just trying to catch people where they are and get them back onto that straight line onboarding experience. And so when you really combine these three components, you have that straight line onboarding experience, you put in both the product and conversational bumper. What it gets at is really figuring out a great way to accelerate that time to value. And it's proven to be really effective. I've tried this on companies that are even just small, like 2K monthly recurring revenue clients to over 2 billion annual recurring revenue clients, and the results are just the same. It's just the pattern is if you make it easier for people to experience the value of your product, those people are going to reward you with upgrading to happy paying customers.
1: So that's a a quick overview of the bowling alley framework. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'm a big fan of frameworks and analogies and especially sports analogies because I'm a big sports fan, so extra points for that. Um, But I think the bumpers (laughs) are super interesting. So you spoke about the product bumpers and the conversational bumpers and that you've used this framework with a lot of companies you've worked with. So could we explore these bumpers in a little more detail? So let's take the product bumpers first. So could you tell us a bit more about those product bumpers that teams can use to help with onboarding?
0: Yeah, so there's a ton of examples of what you could really use. The, the four main ones that I recommend people to really look into. The first one is like onboarding tooltips. Now, I'm really product agnostic in terms of what you use to help someone go from point A to point B in your product. But it really could look like you just guide people through these tool tips and through each of the steps on that straight line onboarding experience. It could also just be a native part of your product. So like something like a product tour is really effective. If you're trying to visualize this with me, like whenever someone signs up for your product, you could really just show them like, or ask them, what do you want to accomplish today? If you have a multi-product company, this is really effective. For instance, if you have three products, like one of them could be, do you want to track your finances? So you ask people that question, or is it, do you want to, Um, manage your finances better. So based on like what they're selecting, you could direct them to go through the onboarding for that specific piece of the product. And what I love about that is it's really prompting people to identify and share, like, here's the main outcome I care about as an end user. You can like take people through the entire product experience, but if you don't solve that one core problem that they had when initially they signed up, you are going to be losing people in droves. So, product tiers are a really effective way of really just mapping that out. The other one is checklists. So, the first part of that straight line, well, the Bowling Alley framework was the straight line onboarding experience. And so, what you really get at the end of that exercise is knowing exactly what steps someone needs to do to see value from your product. So, the next best thing you could do for that. Is put it in a checklist and what I've seen again and again is the companies that do that they just have higher activation rates because people actually really do Enjoy completing checklists. They want to feel like they're making progress And checklists are just a really great way to keep track of that and then the last piece is It's an empty state. So, a lot of SaaS applications, unless you have like content or something specific, most SaaS applications, you have to integrate something or do something. Maybe it's upload a script to a website or something else until the product actually has some sort of inherent value in that dashboard. And so, what I don't see a lot of companies doing is using that dashboard to show people um what is that next step on that straight line onboarding experience what can we really what do we really need someone to do at this point so if you're a business intelligence tool like this could be like here let's add your first integration so you can start seeing some interesting data here and maximizing that real estate value of whenever someone first logs into your product, what do they see? How are you going to help them along that? So that's really, and I think your product bumpers, those are the four main examples, but there's so many more ways to really apply it to your
1: product. Yeah, that's really, really good advice and great to hear. And let's move on to the other bumpers. So what conversational bumpers can teams create to also help with onboarding?
0: Yeah, so the channels and ways you communicate, I feel like there's way more than there used to be. Whether it's just like email, SMS, uh, it could be even like bumps on your browser. I'm not gonna get too specific into some of the even more annoying <laughs> ones you could potentially do. Um, but the one thing I will mention here too is it's really important to think about what are those steps that if someone doesn't complete them, Um, What will prevent them from really achieving the value of the product? And one of the favorite examples I love to share, this is from Wistia, which is really, they have a soapbox product, which makes it easy to do like video recordings in Chrome. But one thing I loved about them and what they really surfaced up in a conversational bumper was just, I had filmed my first video with a Chrome extension, but I didn't share it with anyone. And so if anyone knows Wistia, it's like video analytics on steroids. So uh, since I didn't do that step, I wouldn't have actually been able to see the incredible analytics on the video. And so what is great about that is they just prompted me and said, hey, like here's a, a easy link to share your first video. And so it made it easy for me to do that step. And so whenever you're thinking about conversation bumpers, although it's important to to map out that full user journey, just think about if someone doesn't do these specific steps in my product, will they be able to access the full value of the product? And how could I potentially prompt them in a non annoying way that really helps them
1: or nudges them closer to that point where they're going to strike out in the product? Yeah, super good advice. And in the era of product led growth, what does this then mean for marketers and marketing teams? So, what does a product-led marketing strategy look like?
0: Yes, yeah, so marketing changes quite a bit. And I would know this because I used to work at sales-led companies in the marketing department. And whenever I made that shift to more product-led marketing teams, the way you look at the product completely changes because in a traditional sales-led company, the product is something you just sell. And in a product-led company, the product is your customer acquisition model. And so for a marketer, that's that's really incredible. And so you have to start thinking about, okay, this product, how could I use it to acquire more leads for my business and get more signups? And so even in terms of the features you launch, in terms of what you give away for free versus what you charge, I do feel like to be a successful uh, marketing team in a product led company, you really do also need to understand um, pricing and just how it really does impact your customer acquisition model. I call it like the the fun arranged marriage. If you're going from sales led to product led, like you have to reevaluate your pricing model because pricing and your customer acquisition model, they're inherently linked to each other. For instance, if you give away all of your features for free, you just have this like crazy incredible freemium model that's 100% free like your customer acquisition model and getting users in the door for free is going to skyrocket but as you know your pricing model and your revenue structure for your business is going to fall apart eventually going to go bankrupt because you can't just support all these free users you need to make money somehow whereas if you over index on the other way where you just charge for everything, the free experience is really mediocre, you can't get much value out of it, then your pricing model might have a hit for a little bit, but your customer acquisition model is eventually going to flounder. And so you really do have to look at that from that component. But the other thing too, and the way marketing teams I've seen in product-led companies have changed is just looking at a new metric. And this is product-qualified leads before it was marketing qualified leads where we would always look at what are people doing on the website? What are they downloading? Are they getting demo requests or not? Who should be sent to sales or not? That that's really what it was. At the end of the day, a marketing qualified lead system was to really try and understand people on our website to figure out who would be the best fit for our sales team to talk to because there's a good volume of people they could potentially talk to, but who's the right person. But when it comes to product qualified leads, the thing is, we're, we're really looking at what are people doing in the product. Sure, we can still look at demographic information and everything else to see if it's the right company fit for us to potentially talk to, but you're looking for who has actually experienced the value of the product because those people are going to be your best fit customers and have the highest likelihood of turning into a paying customer. And so from a marketing team, when you start looking at that number and that metric of what is driving product qualified leads it really changes the way you even approach your campaigns because then you're focused on okay what campaigns drive user success
1: versus signups kind of arbitrary metric at the end of the day right so it's about pqls and not mqls and sqls anymore but like following from this so in addition to the product itself what other acquisition channels work well for marketers as part of a product-led approach to growth?
0: Yeah, so it really depends on how much you charge for your product. Because <laughs> if you do charge a lot, like you have a lot more access to different marketing channels because not all marketing channels are created equal, as I, I know you know. But if for a lot of product-led companies, there is, they either like service the S&B space or maybe they just sell at a lower price point. And so that does actually limit what are those acquisition channels that can work for you Very well, And so organic is always one of those ones that I have seen again and again work extremely well for product-led companies because it's usually a lot more affordable than other channels. And if you're dealing with volume of people signing up through organic, um, the unit economics metrics just work a lot better. With that said, that's not really a paid channels or anything else. It's just you have to really look at what is the cost per sign-up and also cost per product qualified lead. And what is... The, the payback period on that too. So, I mean, it's not anything br- groundbreaking I'm gonna share there, but it's just kind of common sense in terms of how you approach prioritizing what are those marketing channels that are gonna serve your business the best. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think product-led growth is very much a team game. So how should marketing, sales, product, and customer success teams work together?
0: Yeah, and you nailed it on the head. Product led growth is a team game because a lot of people try and just think, like, okay, maybe it's just we just launch a freemium or free trial model and we're, we're good to go. We're fully product led. I would actually argue you could still have a free trial, freemium model and be completely sales led. It, it doesn't really mean too much. It really matters how you treat those users when you're in your product. And that means Every team has to be on board. So from your marketing team, you should be prioritizing signups. Who is signing up for the product? Like if your marketing team is focused all over the place and generating leads for uh, this white paper, that white paper, it's like the main CTA, what you really need to drive towards is getting people to sign up and driving as many of those product corporate leads as possible, like have that quality metric in place. Now for your sales team, what they should be looking at is also product qualified leads like who are these best fit people and best fit users that would be a great fit for our product and by reaching out to these people at that opportune moment when they experience the value that's when the sales team is able to be most helpful and maybe it's building that internal business case for someone who really enjoyed the product but they're just not sure how to get it into their whole organization and so there's a room for every team to really involve themselves in this process and even for customer support this one like they can easily get overwhelmed especially if you have a freemium model so having someone on that team really looking at what are the the reoccurring requests here maybe that person's looking at requests in a different way like a request is a bug. How do we eliminate this? I know Atlassian, <laughs> the CEO's is famous at looking at a lot of these support requests as bugs and just saying, why are people having to reach out to us? We need to solve this problem. There's clearly an issue here that needs to be fixed. And so a lot of the best product-led companies, they do have systems, processes, even activities in place to really understand the end user better and so i know at wistia they're doing full story fridays to really um, get people looking at how people were signing up for the product what were the problems they were running into i know another company that just made this shift from sales led a product that in brazil they're a uh, really massive company but they focus on really just getting more people into a room where a user researcher will interview customers and everyone can learn from that customer and just what are the main problems they are solving for. So it is absolutely, I'm glad you brought it up, a team game and you need to approach it as one and really all contribute to the end user success.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and can you give us some examples of what good product-led growth and product-led marketing looks like?
0: Yeah, and so for good product-led marketing teams, what I've seen work really well is just trying to think of, okay, how do we use this product to accelerate our growth? So maybe that is someone thinking about what are those features we give away for free that might be more viral. And so, not all products, especially in the B2B world, are blessed with some form of virality. <laughs> some, like MixMax, for instance, uh, if you ever used it, it's in Gmail and a bunch of other email clients, I believe, by now. And so, whenever you're sharing email, for instance, like it could be at the bottom of your email, people see that um, CTA to sign up and use MixMax as well. And so, there's lots of ways you can bake growth into your product from a marketer's perspective. And so. That is one of the things that I think a lot of companies quickly overlook, but it's really effective because if you're using your product to consistently fuel the growth of your business and it's bringing in more users, if each user brings in two users, it really creates this fascinating um viral growth for your business and so yeah if you're thinking about a good marketer in a product led company what does that look like they're really just trying to explore how could we potentially use this product um, through our entire funnel to really accelerate the growth and sometimes that might just start with creating a free tool so there is for instance a good example is hubspot's uh, website grader or there's WordStreams adwords greater and so a lot of these tools what they were doing is really just trying to understand your business better you get a quick result at the end some insight into how to run your business better and it fed the growth they got lots of leads and contacts um and they were providing an insane amount of value through this tool and so i really do feel like marketers need to start looking at okay there's guides and white papers and content we can write but what might be a tool that this person or a potential buyer would have a really great time using and get a ton of value out of. So um, using
1: the product is one of the easiest ways to accelerate that growth. Yeah, really good advice and good ideas there for everyone listening. So Wes, I have to say this is super good and we can actually move on to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So to wrap things up, I'll ask five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready?
0: I am ready to go whenever you are.
1: All right, let's do it. So first question, what's the one book you would recommend others to read? I would
0: say that one of the books that is really great is How to Win Friends, Influence People. If you're a marketer, just start there. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the best book for any marketer
1: to learn how to interact better with people. Yeah. And I could also add that if anyone is looking to read up on product-led growth, and Wes, you have your own book that you wrote on the topic. So I'm going to throw that in as a, a second plug there. So definitely check that out as well. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, second question, SaaS company you love and why? Okay. So I've been totally nerding out about this one for a while
0: now, but mindmeister it's a mind mapping tool. And if you write a lot of content or create a lot of content, um, it is so helpful to just map out your brain <laughs> and it's got a great product experience. So uh, I recommend that. Okay. That sounds good. Third question, favorite place to read about marketing online. Yeah, I was thinking about this one, but I would actually say Twitter, because a lot of times it's just surface from other growth leaders. I don't have a specific source or email that I open, but um, Twitter, just follow interesting people and they can do a lot of the hunting for you. Yeah, absolutely. Fourth question, most important growth metric? Yes. So for a product-led company, this is product-qualified leads. And that's because every team needs to be using this. It's a unifying metric to make sure that everyone's looking at
1: how do we measure user success in our product. Yeah. I was thinking you might say that, actually. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's good to hear. And the fifth and final question, best piece of advice for fellow marketers?
0: Yes. So for fellow marketers... This really just comes down to research, like understands the customer you're solving for, understands like obviously the functional outcome of your product, but also like what are the emotions and social drivers of that person buying your product? Because the biggest thing I see marketers not focusing on is understanding the customer. They just jump to tactics and ways of getting more people in door, but understanding their pain point, it's like the
1: 80-20 of marketing. So focus there, you'll see better results. Yeah, for sure. So, Wes, I have to say this was awesome and thank you so much for coming on the Growth of Podcast. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. That was Wes Bush on how to turn your product into a growth engine and you can follow Wes on Twitter at Wes underscore Bush. Now, before I go, I just want to say a big thank you for listening to the show and I want to give a shout out to... Katie T who left a review and rating on Apple podcast so she said the growth of podcast is just amazing and absolute must for SaaS CMOs and marketers amazing guests very hot topics from every episode I not only learn new things that I can apply at my work but I'm also entertained it's serious." but in a fun way. So thank you so much, Katty, And if you want a shout out, leave a review and rating on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, and maybe I'll be reading your message out next time. So as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to growth of podcasts brought to you by growth marketing agency, advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford signing off and make sure you check out advanced B2B.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better story
0: and always remember it's the risk takers that are
1: rewarded people are sick and tired of being marketed to and they're sick and tired of being sold the single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying products